We're going to read Matthew chapter 15, verses 21 through 28. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. This is the word of the Lord. Hello, hello. my dream to come up to this music right here. <laughs> All right. Well, good morning, everyone, and um, thank you for being here. Uh, I, uh, um, my name is Matt, as, as Mike said, and, and I just wanted to, to encourage you to make sure you come back next week when, when Mike is here, because, um, uh, uh, um, yeah, I, I remember one time a, a few years ago, I did this sermon, I think it was Romans 12. And the next week, Travis did the exact same passage again, and I, I, I took that as it must have been really important, but I, I wondered if uh, it was just so bad that they had to do it again. So um, please come back next week. Um, all right. We've got a great passage today. Um, in 1945, Red Barber was the radio announcer for the Brooklyn Dodgers the baseball team. Uh, he was from Mississippi originally. Uh, but he had made his way to Brooklyn, and he was admired and treasured as a baseball announcer. One day that year, he was called into the office of the part owner and general manager, a man named Branch Rickey. Branch Rickey shocked Red when he told him he was going to sign a black player to play for the Dodgers to start desegregating the game. No black player had ever been allowed to play in the major leagues and, and Branch Rickey thought this was, this was the time to do it. He'd wanted to do it forever, and this was the time. But, uh, but this did not sit well with Red. Um, he'd grown up, because where he grew up, he struggled with seeing um, black people as being equal to white people. And he didn't, know, he didn't know what to do, and he didn't like the idea. He said he went home that night and told his wife that he thought he had to quit. Red said that Ricky had given him the opportunity to have time to examine himself to see if he could call the game appropriately with a black player on the team or to quit. His wife told him to think about it a little longer and eventually he decided to stay. Oh, sorry. There's Jackie Robinson, the best. He remembers later that year that Ricky had found the player he was looking for, Jackie Robinson. Jackie Robinson was a talented athlete, but he, was also a but he also was strong in character and determination. Ricky believed he was the right man to be the first, the first to break the color barrier in baseball. Red Barber says he remembers Jackie Robinson coming to meet Branch Ricky for the first time. Ricky told Robinson he wanted to sign him, but he told, he told him that, he was on, that this was only going to work one way. 
Robinson was going to have to endure the worst kinds of abuse wherever he went. He was going to not be accepted. He was not going to be accepted by his teammates. He was going to be called the foulest names by fans and opposing teams. Pitchers were going to throw at his head. Base runners were going to slide with their cleats up high to spike him in the shins. He was going to receive death threats. And all this happened. And Ricky said, and you will have to accept that. You will have to take it all and not respond for three years. You will have to give it three years of no fighting back. And Red Barber says that is exactly what Jackie Robinson did. He said, Jackie Robinson was a great player, but the greatest thing about him was not his statistics. The greatest thing about Jackie Robinson was that being a spiritual man, he turned the other cheek and did not fight back. After watching and working with Jackie Robinson, Red Barber, so this is him with Jackie Robinson, Red Barber had this to say, I had to change my outlook on race. Being raised in the South, I had to begin thinking differently. I had to understand with clear eyes that I should and must accept him equally as I did other players. He matured me. Jackie Robinson's presence in his life and actions on and off the field opened up a different world to him. He saw finally, as he said, with clear eyes. He was not the only one. A dramatic shift happened in the way many Americans saw their fellow human beings because Jackie Robinson lived and because of what he did. His work and life still speak to us today, and his legacy will ripple throughout time. A similar shift in people's thinking about their, their fellow human beings occurred because of the life of Jesus Christ. And you, are, and you and I are the beneficiaries of this shift in thinking. The kingdom of heaven was open to everyone. The good news was good news to everyone. God's grace extended to everyone. And our passage today is a story that shines a light on God's compassion for the whole world. Let's look back at where we've been um, over the last few weeks. So a few weeks ago, we saw that Jesus found out about the death of, of John the Baptist, his cousin, right? Um, his, the, the one he, he, uh, who, who, was the, who shined the light on Jesus coming. And so he went to go away. He went to find a place that was quiet. Um, but the crowd, a large crowd followed him. And, uh, and, and so big, it was, there were was, was so many people, and they were hungry, and he fed them. It was a miracle. And then he got in a boat, or he had the disciples go get in a boat, and he went onto a mountainside and prayed, and they, they got caught on the, on the lake of the storm, and, uh, and he came and he rescued them, and then they made it to the other side, and there other people found them, and he healed them as well. And then he got into these discussions with the crowds, and he started talking to, to the Pharisees, and, uh, and, when, and they come and they question him about the actions of his disciples, and he confronts them with their hypocrisy and the, conclusion, and the, uh, and the condition of their hearts. He then explains to them that, that what makes someone unclean is not what, what they put into their bodies, not what, they, uh, not what they eat, but what comes out of them, what, make, what comes out of their, of their mouths, what is alive in their hearts, that's what makes them unclean. As Mike taught about last week, Jesus is preaching a gospel of grace, redefining who is in and who is out. Jesus came for those and is able to, teach, to reach those who knew that they needed him, who knew they needed help. He is the one who cleanses and makes holy, and there is no uncleanness that is, a, that is a match for his holiness. Jesus is on a mission of transforming hearts, and you don't have to be clean, holy, and perfect first, as some of the religious leaders believed and taught. You just had to move towards Jesus, and today we see his message lived out in someone's life. We see someone who moves towards Jesus with faith and humility 
And we see that even though she would be one who was considered unclean by the religious and righteous, she was accepted and loved by Jesus, and it changed her life. She came as she was, and Jesus loved her for it. So let's take some time to look at this woman and, and, and her time with Jesus today, verse by verse, because she has a lot to show us about faith. And as always, Jesus has a lot to show us about grace. This passage is so important to us today, to our time, and to our place in history. This passage foreshadows the going out of the, of the gospel to the whole world. It is the beginning of the end of the, all the barriers. A shift in thinking occurs, as it did for Red Barber after he met Jackie Robinson. Eyes are starting to be opened. The world is turned upside down, and it will never be the same again. I believe that if we have ears to hear and eyes to see, if we have minds to understand and hearts to feel, then Jesus can transform us more and more into his image as we watch him and we watch this woman and marvel at this interaction between creator and creation, this beautiful dance between faith and grace. So let's begin today with where they were, okay? So it says in verse 21, that is, and Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. All right, now, this Tyre and Sidon are not in Israel. That's outside of Israel. This is, well, the thing that I didn't understand is that this is the first time, and, and from my understanding, the only time Jesus ever le leaves Israel. He goes out, out, of, the, uh, out of the boundaries. Um, and, and Tyre is about 35 miles uh, northwest of, of Capernaum. So if they left there or around there, um, then it would have taken them a little bit of time to walk there. Um, but that's where Jesus went. And, and uh, Tyre um, was like a fortress. It was, there was a fortress, it was like called the Rock. And, and it was a, a seaport, and it was a major town on the, on the way to like Damascus and other important, other important places. Uh, and so Jesus went there. I'll show you here a little picture of this. There we go. Okay, there's a lot of words on there. Um, but Tyre, you can see the arrow, the big blue arrow inside on up there. And there's Israel, and there it is. There they are outside of, of Israel. And Jesus went there um, to, it says that he withdrew. And it's kind of like when he, when he went to, the, to, to go find a quiet place after John the Baptist, after he found out about John the Baptist. Um, he goes away. The crowds are always pressing in on him. So he, get, he gets out. There's also people attacking him now all the time from every side, the Pharisees, the religious leaders coming at him. And surely they would not follow him uh, to Tyre because that's where the Gentiles were and, uh, and you did not associate with, with the Gentiles. So this was maybe a place for him to, to escape for a while and to go. Um, now, what we, what, we've, uh, what we know about Tyre and, and Sidon is uh, that it was a place, this area right here, uh, so Josephus, the, um, the, the, the Jewish historian of the first century, he said that of all the people of the Phoenicians, of all of them, the, the, the people of Tyre were the ones that had the most ill feelings towards us, towards the Jews, towards the, they had the, the worst feelings towards us. And so the, this was the place of, of people, of people who were not fond of each other, or the, the Jews and the, and the Tyrenes were not real fond of each other. And, uh, um, oh, sorry, i do something. All right, so, um, so th there was definitely a bad blood here. Uh, if there was, if you would call anyone a pagan, um, the people in Tyre, you would call them pagans. They, uh, they were bad news um, to, the, to the Jewish people. And so a lot of people would not, would not go there with him. 
in the mark, uh, oh, and let me show you this. So this is his pathway kind of there. As you can see the green arrows. Um, anyway, Mark, in the, in the account in Mark, it says that he goes into, um, he goes into a house. And, and, and he goes there to, to, so that he hopes that no one will find him, it says. Um, and, uh, but he can't stay hidden for very long. Because along comes this woman. A Canaanite woman comes to him. And says, and behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. So she's a Gentile, which is bad enough. Um, but the Canaanites were the ancient enemies of Israel, right? And so you can imagine that for those Jews who were witnesses of this event, uh, there were some real problems with this woman approaching the master. Uh, none of this stops her from coming, though. She, she has a very good reason for coming to him. And any bitterness between her people and his people was of no consequence to her now. Her daughter needed her more than ever, and she knew that she needed him. Nothing else mattered. And so she cries out to him, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. She has the belief that this man, Jesus, is her best and maybe only hope to see her daughter well again. We don't know how she came to believe this about him, living outside of Israel as she was. It is likely word that spread, out, spread about him that there was something different about this guy, something special. Maybe stories had spread of how he was a miracle worker. Maybe she saw a crowd around him and heard him speak to them and thought this was a man who could, who could and would save her daughter. However she heard about him, she came that day, and though there was much going against her, she was bold enough to ask for his help and his mercy. She came, and that's what was important. She calls him the son of David. And this is the title uh, for the coming Messiah. The Savior would be a descendant of King David. This is, very important. this is a very important and weighty title. It wasn't just thrown around by the Jewish people. But here she is, a Gentile, just putting it out there, calling him the son of David. Did she know what she was talking about? Did she understand what that title really meant? Did she know who David really was, or who, which David it was? Did she just hear other people calling this man the son of David and thought, that's what I should do too? It's not clear why she did it, but I think the important thing is, is that she comes to him in the best way that she knows how. She honors him and has this deep respect for him. Maybe she doesn't know all the right things to say, and, and maybe she's been on the outside of where he has been, but she comes now anyway. And Jesus does not answer her right away. We're, we're not told his reasoning for not saying anything, but based on what we've seen him do in the past and the fact that we know what, is about to, what he's about to do for this woman in just a few moments, we know that there's a good reason for it. Perhaps he recognizes that she is calling him a title that is foreign to her, and he wants her to get to a place where she is more genuine, where, where, she just doesn't, where she doesn't feel like she has to say the right words, but just asks as a child would ask a parent. Maybe he wants to see if she will keep asking, if she will stick with it. If she just, if she, if she just is, ew, sorry, is she just out there to, uh, to get something from someone like, like a magician, or does she really believe he is the son of David, the son of God, the Messiah? We don't know why he is silent, but we know that he is good he has shown us that in scripture and in our own lives. 
this woman could take his silence as a sign of his indifference, as perhaps we have done when he is silent with us. But she doesn't. She persists. And in doing so, she shows him what she believes. And maybe Jesus is silent because he wanted to see how his disciples would respond to her, give them a chance to minister to this pagan woman. If he was giving his disciples an opportunity to minister, he must have been pretty disappointed by their reaction. They tried to get him to send her away after, he keeps, after she keeps crying out. Now maybe they were tired and they, they didn't have anything to give at that moment. That might, be, that might be the case. Or maybe they wanted to send her away because she was not Jewish and they, don't feel, they didn't feel like she should get any help from him. Maybe that attitude towards Gentiles is so heavily ingrained in them that they just couldn't get past it. Even when someone who is clearly in pain and need is right in front of them. We would hope that mercy and grace would triumph over, over uh, differences, but we know that often they don't. It's hard to let go of things we have believed for so long, even if the right thing is clear as day. The Pharisees held on to their traditions to the point where they could not walk away from them, even when it meant shunning others or rejecting their Messiah. The disciples had deep-seated beliefs, too, that God was for them, for Israel, and everyone else who was on the outside looking in. Jesus had clearly shown them grace and mercy, sorry, and accepted them even when they, they knew they were sinners, but they couldn't see that grace and mercy extending to Gentiles. That was incomprehensible for them. She was out of luck, and now she was just bothering them, so she must be sent away. But Jesus doesn't address them directly. Instead, he talks to the woman for the first time it's not probably what she was hoping for. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And she was not in that house. So was she out of luck? Why does Jesus say this? Again, we know what he's about, what's about to happen. And we know that he, what he is going to do on the cross. So why does he say this? It doesn't sound right. I think there are a couple reasons why he says this. Number one. He is stating that Israel was a priority to him. God had made covenants with Israel, with Abraham, Jacob, Moses, David. They were his people, and he was their God. It was through them that God issued his law. It was through them that he had gave, given his word. The Messiah would come through them. In Deuteronomy, he calls them his special treasure, a holy people, and his chosen people. In John 4, when he's talking to the woman at the well, he says that salvation comes from the Jews. They are clearly important to him, and Jesus' ministry must start with them. His rescue mission comes through Israel, and so they are a priority to him. Number two, he's showing that he is fulfilling prophecy. God refers to Israel as his lost sheep in Jeremiah 56. Throughout the Old Testament, the Messiah was, de was described as the one who would gather those lost sheep like a shepherd. Jesus reveals himself to be that shepherd the shepherd of Israel, and to be their Messiah. Number three, perhaps he was testing the woman's faith. God does this in the Bible, right? He famously tested Abraham and Job, for instance. And Jesus, he does this. Right? And in John's account of the feeding of the 5,000, he asked Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? And John writes, he asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. And when the rich young ruler, if you remember him, comes to him, the young man calls him good, 
And Jesus replies, why do you call me good? Only God is good. And it's as if he's trying to get the young man to connect the dots himself. Okay. So he tests her here a little. She has approached him, so he knows she has some faith, but she has called him the son of David. And again, perhaps this is foreign to her. His statement here gets her to a more genuine and passionate expression of her faith in him. And the woman kneels before him and now and pleads with him. And, she rec- and he recognizes her devotion and her persistence. And he gives her one more test. I believe he sees something in her here and he wants others to see it too. And so he says this. Oh, we lose it. So he says, it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. How many of you guys, is this the first time you've ever heard that, this story? Anybody? All right. Does this sound kind of shocking to anybody else? All right. Yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of, you kind of like, wait, what? What did, what did he, what did he say? Um, that doesn't sound like him, right? It just doesn't sound like him. Um, so there's a couple of things here. Uh, in the, I have these dogs. Anyway, um, uh, the first thing is the words he uses. Um, there's a couple of, of words in, in, in the Greek language for dogs, and, and there's certainly uh, one that dogs would be used as a slur, right? I mean, if, if you were a dog, um, if people called you a dog, then you were a, a, like a street dog. You're a scavenger. You're the worst kind of, of person. And so that was used as an insult. Um, but that's not the word he uses here. He uses the, the, the word in, in Greek for the little, the little pet dog, um, the little, little lap dog that would be in your, in your home, in your, in your, in your house. And so the, maybe the edginess of the, of the word there um, takes a little bit of the, or the, the, the way, the, the, what the word really means maybe takes some of the sting out of it. Um, and uh, does, does, anybody, does anybody have a dog here? Does anybody, or anybody else ha- ever had a dog? Does anybody love their dog? Yeah, right? They're the best, right? They're the best. I, um, I didn't have really a dog until recently, the last six, seven years, and, and um, Oh, how many people love dogs more than other people? <laughs> all right, so I've seen all these. I've, I've been paying attention to dog things lately, and I see these bumper stickers that say, I love my dog, not so much you, but I love my, or I'm well-trained um, because my dog gets everything she wants or he wants. It. Anyway, um, but I, we have this dog, Ruby, and Ruby is uh, a black lab, and Ruby is sneaky, and she, uh, she'll, she'll, she'll chew up your shoes if you leave them out. She'll, she'll chew up everything if you leave it out. Um, she steals it, and she knows she's doing it because she looks at you, and then she runs off. Um, and uh, she's broken a window in our house. She's, she's chewed up rose bushes. She's dug holes in random places in the grass. Like, what are you doing? Um, she's, she'll get up in the middle of the night and, and, and have to go outside and just bark and bark. And, and uh, man, there's so, so many things that she does that, like, what are you doing? Um, but I'll take all of it. I love it. I don't care, you know, like, because uh, of who she is and... and and her presence with me, and uh, the, 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 what she is in my life, uh, this, this like loyal friend, this person who always comes to see you, um, and, uh, and you get the feeling like she loves you, and, and you love her, and uh, there's just something, something special about, about the dog in the house, and, um, and so I wonder if maybe this word isn't, or maybe this phrase isn't maybe as bad as it first sounds. Um, this woman clearly loves her daughter, and, uh, and if she has a, uh, a, a dog, then she probably clearly feels the same way about that dog. Um, but, uh, but, I, but I think that, that this word, when he's saying this, 
um, it's not so much, it's not to, to insult her, it's to try to make the point of there's, there's the, the, the Israelites have come, for, they were, the, the, we, the words come through the, the Jewish people, it's come through Israel, and, and, and now there's coming a time where it's going to spread out beyond that. Um, it's not that he's saying that she's, that she's not going to get to eat. It's saying that her time is about to come. And, uh, and maybe like the rich young ruler, how he wanted maybe him to connect the dots. If you say I'm good, uh, but if only God is good, then, then what are you saying? Maybe he's picking up on, some, maybe he sees something in her, and he recognizes her faith and her devotion and her, her um, intelligence, and maybe he's trying to get her to see what he's trying to say. Um, maybe he's trying to help her to recognize that, that he's not saying that I'm, I'm like a dog. He's saying that, that uh, I'm, I'm not getting to eat yet. And, and she comes up with, with this clever thing. She comes up with this thing that I think that he was hoping for. And she says to him, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Now, first of all, a truer statement has never, ever been spoken. Um, oh, there's some dogs. Yeah. There they are. Yeah. All right. Cool. So, yeah. That, yeah. So, it's hard. Oh, yeah. I love those guys. It's hard to imagine them not being loved. Um, my dog is like a black lab. So, it'd be like the one on the right, far right corner with a cheeseburger. Um, that, that would be her, and she'd run off and eat it. And then it's like, what are you going to do about that? Can't stop me. She also gives me the look of the, uh, what is that? Is that like a beagle? Kind of that little brown? Anyway, the little puppy. You can't stop her. She's, uh, you get everything you want. <laughs> um, anyway. Uh, so, so um, she says, but even, even the, um, the, the dogs eat the crumbs that, are, that fall from the master's table. And this is a, this is a very true statement. I, she is always there no matter what. Like, she's, gonna, she's ready to eat. And, and if, if she'll be asleep, she'll be like dead to the world. And if she hears me cleaning the pans, she comes running out. Um, she's ready to eat. She wants to eat anything that, that she can get. Um, uh, Ruby is her name again. Um, but uh, this, this is very true. Uh, and this is a bold thing for this woman to say. Uh, with so much against her, uh, with, with, you know, with her being, um, you know, with, with the situation she's in. And, and this is the son, of da- the son of David, right? This great man right in front of her. Um, but she says it anyway. Just as, as, as he saw something in her, she must have seen something in him. And, and so she feels comfortable with responding to him. And maybe, you know, we don't know his tone we don't know the look on his face. We don't know his posture towards her. Um, you know, we, you can say something that sounds like an insult, like, oh, he's a dirty rascal. But it's all, you're like, it's your friend, like, oh, he's a dirty rascal. You know, there, there's, there's ways that people say things um, that we don't, maybe we don't pick, we, we, we hear it differently because of the way that it's said. And so she must have seen something in him that allowed her to say this in response. Um, and it is a, it's an amazing statement. Um, she was not offended by his words. Uh, she saw herself as someone in need, as someone who would gladly take anything that was given to her. This was her response, one of humility and gratefulness. You know who gets offended by Jesus all the time? It's the righteous ones, right? It's the Pharisees and the other leaders. In the passage right before this, the, the, the disciples come up to Jesus and say, did you know that what you said offended the Pharisees? Um, it's, 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 it's not recorded, but I think Jesus probably wants to say, yeah, that's why I said it. That was my favorite part. Um, uh, 
they would get offended because they saw themselves as the clean ones, as the holy ones, the ones who'd been doing it right the whole time. This woman saw herself as one in need of mercy, and she was the one who received the grace of God, who had a heart that pleased him. Her mind and heart with her daughter, and her eye, her mind and her heart were with her daughter, and her eyes were on him. Someone who is focused on someone else isn't as concerned about themselves. And someone who's focused on themselves isn't as concerned about someone else. This woman was right all along. And the way she approached Jesus with a worshipful attitude, with an indomitable persistence, with an unconquerable devotion, and a determined commitment and love for her daughter was exactly what he was looking for. And I think he wanted his disciples to see this. She wasn't just a woman on the outside who was out of luck. She wasn't one of them. She wasn't a heathen or a loser or a hateful human being. She was a mother who wanted her daughter to be healed, just like any Jewish mother would want. She was just as much a child of God as they were, and food was available to her too. The world was turning upside down. And in verse 28, Jesus declares that, this, that she has great faith in front of everyone, and he turns her daughter, and he, and he heals her daughter. His grace and power and love was for everyone. And again, I think he wanted his disciples to see this. I think he said all these things to her, uh, just as much to her as, 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 as to them, too. I think they, they were um, the ones who needed to hear what, uh, what, not only what he said, but what she said in return. Now, a few years after this encounter, one of the men uh, who was there, uh, who witnessed this whole thing, probably, um, he went up onto a mountain, not on a mountain, he went up onto a rooftop to pray. And it was Peter. And Peter was hungry. And while he was up there, he fell into a trance. And, uh, and this is in, in Acts 10. And it says this. And he saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheep descending. Let's see if we get there. There it is. Like a great sheep descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time and said, what God has made clean, do not call common. And this happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision had had, what the vision he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, was, was called, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the spirit said to him, behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. So he sent these three Gentiles, he sent these, gen, these Gentile men who have come from this other Gentile to come find Peter and, and to bring him to, their, to this man's house. And Peter goes with them, and they take him to Cornelius' house. And he's a Gentile, but Peter enters his house anyway. And he says, and he, sorry, and he says, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or to visit them. But God has shown me that I should not call any man impure or unclean and then he says, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts everyone from every nation who fear him and do what is right. 
And later, he is questioned about meeting with them by the church leaders, and he says, if God gave them the same gift, the same gift as he gave us, who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could oppose God? The world turned upside down. It would never be the same again. I was struck by that last verse. If God gave them what he gave us, and that was still the thinking at the time in the church, there was them, and there was us. I heard a song uh, once, and it's, it's by, uh, by you two, and, and, it, and they say over and over and over again, there is no them. There is no them. There's only us. There's only us. And what a wonderful place to get to. If we can see the world that way, that my us circle becomes bigger and bigger, and my them circle becomes smaller and smaller. There is no them. There's only us. We're all in it together. We can all make it through because of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. May we all be the little dogs, happy to get any crumbs that fall our way. Maybe sometimes we'll even get a cheeseburger that'll come our way. And so I ask myself, can I be more like this woman? Am I willing to accept even the crumbs? Not just accept them, but revel in them. See them as the gift from God that they are. Am I persistent in my prayers like she was? And do I keep my eyes on him? Do I understand that I am always someone who needs him? That I was on the outside and he has brought me on the inside. That I was unclean and common and he has made me clean. And can I be more like Jesus? Are there people who I consider as being them? And can I see the us in those people more and more? Am I willing to enter into their world and see them more for who they really are and recognize that we share the same need for grace and mercy? Will I let him work in my heart so that I can treat them as he would treat them? Uh, in, a, in a little bit here, we're going to... Um, we're going, to do, we're going to have communion. And, um, and on the night before he was crucified, um, Jesus was, was in the upper room with his disciples. And, and he took the bread and he, and he broke it. And he said, this is, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. When, when you eat this, remember me. Remember what has been done for you. And he took the wine and, and, uh, and he poured it. And he said, this is my blood poured out for you. Um, do this. Remember, when you drink this, remember me. Do this in remembrance of me. And, uh, and on most Sundays, we, we do this uh, here, and, uh, and please come forward. Or there's, there's stations in the back, stations in the front, if that is something that you would like to do. If, if, you, if you, uh, um, you don't know what that is, or you're, you, you don't, that's not something you believe in right now, um, please do not feel uh, like you, you should do that or you have to do that. Um, this is for those who, who would like to um, remember and, and, and who, uh, who believe and, uh, and recognize the, the, the grace that's been poured out for them in Jesus on the cross. Um, so we'll, we'll do that in just a second. Would you pray with me? Father, um, first of all, Lord, I thank you for this story that, that you wanted this written down, that you, you had this here. Thank you for this woman. Lord, I, I, looking at her, I feel like she's like the ultimate example for me um, of, of what it means to keep going, of, of what it means to, um, to love someone and, and, uh, and to, to trust you. Um, thank you, Lord, for her endurance. Thank you for um, 
her cleverness. Thank you for everything that you, you made her to be and, and, and that you showed to us through her. And Lord, thank you for your mercy and your grace. Um, thank you for being the kind of God that we can talk to, um, that we can, we can even be bold with and, and interact with. Um, thank you for your, your love for us. Help us to remember that. Help us to see people as you would see them, as you would tr- and to treat them as you would treat them. Um, may, your, may your kingdom come in this world. Uh, may it change our hearts, our lives, and may it change this whole world. Um, thank you, Lord. Uh, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this week ahead, and, and we lift it up, and, and we give it to you. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.